sing one more song, but you guys can be seated right now, and I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for bringing us here this morning. I, I, I feel your presence today, Lord, and I, I see it in the, the faces of the people singing. They're able to connect with you this morning, and it's so beautiful, Lord. And I just thank you that it's all because of you, uh, and I thank you for salvation, and I pray that that's what overwhelms us this morning to praise you. As we sing these songs and we hear the words, and as Kyle comes to challenge us, Lord, I pray it's all about you and, and not about us, Lord. And as we take this offering here, uh, I pray that we would be able to give from a grateful and joyful hearts. In your name, amen. We're going to take two offerings. Go ahead and start playing. We're going to take two offerings. Uh, the first one's our regular offering. The second's for the, the building fund. Uh, if you're a visitor, you don't need to to contribute to that, but we would like to know more about you, so there's some pullouts in front of you, unless you're in the front row, but never mind, no one's there, <laughs> uh, and you can put that into the offering for us. I just want to tell you, we're, Christy's going to have to keep playing for a little bit because I'm going to talk. Um, this song has meant a lot to me. You guys know, maybe you think I'm kind of a drama queen, maybe because I just cry a lot and I, I, I like to talk to you about, about my pain. But hopefully it comes across as real, okay? I think that's real, is that throughout our weeks, throughout our days, we deal with pain on, sometimes on a daily basis. Uh, and that's me, you know? Uh, and as we sing this song, see, drama queen. As we sing this song, as I sing this song, I have overwhelmed by the presence of God in my life. That no matter what is going on, no matter what hurts and pains I have, it is well in my soul because of Him. And so for you guys, I don't know what you guys are facing this week. There, I'm sure there's a lot of pain going on in this room. Whatever it is, it can be well with you. I, I see things that I feel like are hopeless. Yesterday I felt like I was seeing some things that are hopeless. They are to me, but not when I have God. He can move any mountain. He can change any person. He can work any miracle he wants to. So this morning as we sing this song, as we come before him, we are moved and overwhelmed by him. And so we can find that it is well in our souls because of him. We are talking about Jesus on trial this morning. Now I thought you guys could help me out a little bit. You guys are the jury, okay? So I want you, we're going to make a decision together. Uh, is, is this black and blue or white and gold? It's black and blue, right? Who's with me on black and, yeah, yeah, thank you, okay. That's black and blue. I'm glad we got that out of the way. Okay, so in uh, Mark chapter 14 this morning, that's where we're going to be. And I, I don't know if you're like me, but uh, those large events in history, that, that I was alive for. You kind of remember where you were, don't you? I mean, uh, my grandpa would tell me when Pearl Harbor was bombed. He says, yeah, oh, I remember that. He said, we were all asking the question, who is Pearl Harbor? We, you know, so they had no idea. Uh, some of you are old enough to remember JFK. I remember the, the Challenger space shuttle. You know, I remember 9-11. And then I remember this thing as well. Anybody remember that? <clears throat> yeah. I remember sitting in my living room watching uh, OJ running from the cops. Uh, more specifically, I, I kind of remember the trial because I was, I was in my, my junior year of high school and we were following it. And for one of our classes, we were following it all the way through was this trial. And, you know, you had guys like Ito up there, right, Judge Ito, and 
you had Robert Shapiro, and you had my favorite Kardashian, Robert Kardashian, well, her, him or Chloe, but uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, you had this whole cast of characters in this trial, but there was so much drama because, you know, I think it, I, I realized the glove didn't fit, but it, to me it seemed pretty obvious the guy was probably guilty, right? There's a lot of drama in a courtroom, specifically a trial when somebody's life is on the line, right? When somebody's life is on the line, there is quite a bit of drama. I remember my wife and I watching a show, and throughout the course of the season, here was this guy who was on his way to death, and as the show went along, you find out that he did not commit this crime. Ultimately, he ended up being executed for a crime he didn't commit. And so there was a lot of drama in the trial, right? A lot of drama seeing an innocent man on trial. And there's probably no more drama than when that innocent defendant takes the witness stand. And there's probably no more dramatic witness in any trial in the course of history than when Jesus took the stand. And I want us to get that picture because that's what's going on here at the end of Mark chapter 14. Jesus innocent, right? No fault in him whatsoever is on trial for his life. So uh, read with me, if you will, Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 53, it says this, they took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests, elders, and teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself by the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple and in three days will build another, not made by man. Yet even then, their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is the testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy to die. Then some began to spit on him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. Let's pray. God, we we thank you for Jesus. Uh, We thank you for his life. God, for his death everything preceding the death, and God, ultimately, for his resurrection and conquering and defeating death for us. Uh, God, help us to look at this and and realize who Jesus is and and exactly what he has done for us. God, we pray that you would speak to us this morning, that we would hear your words, uh, and God, that you would would challenge our hearts uh, to live differently because of it. We ask it In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, kind of three things I want us to notice here. I want us to notice first that Jesus is the judge. Okay, now, you look at this story, and just reading the story and then moving on, you'd say, what do you mean Jesus is the judge? 
He, he's the one, right? He's the one on trial here. But as we read the story, and specifically as we look at the response of Jesus, you, you see that is exactly who he is. The second thing we want to notice is that Jesus is being judged. And that's a little more obvious in this text. Now, I would mention this, that as we think and we dwell on the fact that Jesus was the judge and he was also judged, it's those two things together that make him worthy to be our king, that make him worthy to be your king, that make him worthy to be my king. And so I want us to look at this story again, and we want to start with the trial, okay? So we start with this trial, and, and the uh, prosecution now is trying to make a particular case stick against him, right? So what are they trying to do? Here's what's going on. Jesus has come before them, and they're trying to gather up all these witnesses to come up with this story against Jesus. Now, the story they're trying to come up with, uh, ultimately, is that he really wants to destroy the temple, right? That, that's what they're after. Now, if we understand the, what the temple represents to the nation of Israel, we'd understand that someone who wanted to do this, this, this was a big deal. I mean, this was no small case. This wasn't just some uh, little vandalism. This would be considered blasphemy, right, because this is the house of God. This would be considered terrorism because this, this temple really is a symbol or was to be a symbol really of the, the greatness of Israel, right? And so this is a big deal for someone to make these claims you know, we're talking blasphemy, we're talking terrorism. These are some major claims made against Jesus. Now, to understand what Jesus said, you kind of got to go back. And you can go back to the beginning of his ministry. And at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus told his followers, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it back up. Now, what was he talking about? He wasn't talking about the physical temple. He was talking about himself, that I will be put to death. And in three days, I will rise from the dead. He also, made the, he also made the statement, this was in Mark chapter 13, as Nick was going through our, our talks on the end time. He also made the statement about the temple, that this temple is going to be destroyed. Right? They, were, they were commenting on kind of how, you know, the majesty of the temple and how cool it looked and all that. And he said, this, this temple is going down. Right? This temple is going to be destroyed. And it was really him prophesying what was going to happen, and it eventually did. And so probably the combination of these people had heard in his ministry him say these things, but, you know, they were trying to use these words against Jesus. Now, as we see here, nobody had the same story, right? Everybody's stories were different. They were trying to come up with these, these different stories against him. And the reason was because it wasn't true. Jesus never said he was going to destroy the temple. He never wanted to act on destroying the temple. He was simply, you know, the chapter 13, prophesying what was going to happen, and then early in the ministry, John chapter 2, talking about himself. So he never made these claims, so it's very easy to see why their testimony did not go together, did not collaborate. Now, in about any trial, and specifically in these days, if two or three witnesses came together and their stories did not line up, the trial would end. In fact, that's Old Testament law in Leviticus Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, here's what it says. One witness is not enough to convict a man accused of any crime or offense he may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. In other words, if these two or three people had come together and actually, you know, they're collaborated their stories or whatever, okay, we got a testimony. But they didn't. And that's obvious because Jesus never said it. Jesus never intended to do that. And so they come together 
really, this case at this point, according to Old Testament law, according to the law of the time, it should have been thrown out. There was no testimony. There were no two or three witnesses with the same story. But we also know this was no ordinary trial, right? There was nothing fair and there was nothing legal about what was going on with this trial. And so, instead, the high priest puts Jesus on the witness stand. And here it is, right? An innocent man, a man no fault, called to the witness stand. Then the high priest stood up and before them asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Fulfilling prophecy from from the prophet Isaiah. He gave no answer. But they continue. Again, the high priest asked him, a little more specific now, a little bigger question here. Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? There's a lot in that question. And if you would look at it just as, okay, are you the Christ? What they were really expecting to come was a Messiah who was going to rule. An earthly Messiah who would come and rule and restore them to the greatness that once was Israel, right? They were once a great country, now in Roman oppression. And so what they really were expecting to come was, was somebody, a Messiah, to come and restore them to that position. And they're asking the question, are you that Messiah? Are you the son of the blessed one? Now, if anybody tries to uh, make the claim that the Bible and that Jesus never says that he is the son of God, uh, here is a great passage to take him to. Now, there are several, several in the Gospels we can take him to, but here is one. He's asked the question, are you the Messiah? Are you the son of God? And what's his response? I am. I am. Now, he didn't stop there. He answers them, and he takes this question so much more than the, uh, the prosecution even intended it to be. Okay, yes, I am this Messiah. I am the son of the blessed one, but I'm more. I'm more than what you think I am. I'm so much more than this Messiah that you were anticipating, that you were longing for, that you were hoping for. Here's what he says. I am, said Jesus, And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Yes, I am the Son of God, but you know what else I am? The Son of Man. The Son of Man. Now, what is that? To to know what that is, you have to look at the prophet Daniel, right? And in this statement, Their response that we're about to see, it's because Jesus makes this statement right here, that he is the son of man. And we talk about Jesus being the judge, this is what we're talking about. Listen uh, from from, uh, Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. It said, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Yeah, I'm the son of God, but I'm the son of man as well. 
says, you guys, you guys think you are judging me? All rule, all power, all authority has been given to me, the Son of Man. And he, it says that he will come on like clouds of heaven. Now, this isn't, you know, this isn't a, I don't know, what is cumulus nimbus or what is a cloud, something like that. All right, this isn't that type of cloud. When we talk about the clouds of heaven, this is the very essence and presence of God. So he's not just going to say, I'm rolling on on some clouds here. This is the very essence and presence of God. Yes, I'm the son of God, but I am the son of man. He comes from the throne of God in the clouds of heaven to judge the world. What's he telling them? He says, yeah, son of God, son of man. You know what? Someday... I'm coming back. Someday, I'm going to return. And someday, I'm going to rid this place of all evil and injustice. Someday, I am coming to rule. I am the judge. He is the judge. It's a claim to deity way beyond what these guys are even asking him to confess. And he says, regardless of what happens, he's telling them he's coming back to judge. Now, to see their response really tells us that they understand what he's saying. They understand that he is making the claim that he's the Messiah to come, but he's God. He's the judge. Look at their response here. It says, the high priest tore his clothes. Why do you even need more witnesses? He asked him, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him worthy to die. Man, there's an uproar. It's going crazy now. What happens? He tells them, yeah, I'm the son of God. I'm the son of man. Blasphemy. Tears his clothes. And I want you to imagine, here we are in the middle of a trial, and all of a sudden, they start spitting on him. They start beating him. All right? They are going after him because of these words. The son of God, the son of man. Jesus is not making, and so many people in our world today will make the claim, oh yeah, Jesus is this great teacher, right? He is a great man. He says some cool things. I might listen to here and there. But he is not making any claim that he is some good teacher. He is making the claim that he is God, and that is why they are responding the way they are. That is why they're tearing their clothes, blasphemy. That's why they're spitting. That's why they are beating him. So what does this mean for us? This, that the great judge has come, should mean much. It's life-changing. And the problem with so many Christians in the world today is that we sit on the fence when it comes to Jesus. Right? What, what does he say in Revelation? Man, it, it, be hot or be cold, don't be middle of the road. Right? Don't be lukewarm, I'll spit you out. The, the reality is, these guys that, that are spitting on him and beating him and... and, and, and getting ready to crucify him, they are showing actually a whole lot more integrity than many Christians do. Because when it comes to Jesus, there's three, three reactions we should have. Right? He says, hey, hot, cold, nothing lukewarm. But if you read through the Gospels, what you see with Jesus, there are three reactions. There are guys like this. They hate him. They want to kill him. Because he's making these claims of being God. He's making the claims of being the Messiah. So there is hatred, and there are those who are terrified, is the second response. They encounter Jesus, and they are terrified because of who he is. And the third one is that of adoration and worship. It's that like 
when my, last time I spoke about Mary. When we encounter Jesus, we fall at his feet because he is the king. He is the Messiah. And we can't help but fall down and worship him. These are the three responses, the life of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus bring about. There is no middle ground. You know, you just can't, there, read through the Gospels. There is nobody that, that encounters Jesus like, you know what, that guy's got some good things to say, right? Maybe if I just, I might listen to a few things. He's a good man, a good teacher. Nobody makes that claim. They hate him, they're scared of him, or they love him. And they serve him, and they worship him, and they adore him as the Messiah. It's the three responses, and the only responses we can have. He said, I am God, I am the judge, and I have all the power. Reality is, when we realize that this Jesus has all the power, that this Jesus is the judge, that this Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, that he is the Son of Man, man, our, our response should be one of, like Mary, that, that wholehearted devotion, adoration, and love. You, know, you hear so much in the world today about balance in our life, right? You know, you got oh, just the whole Zen thing. We want balance, center in our life. Followers of Jesus, how many people do you think if they would study and they would have followed around Peter and the disciples and Paul and people like, what a, what a oh, man, that Peter, you know what I like about him? That guy's got, that, you know, he's got good balance in his life. Right, right, you can't look at the disciples and say, hey, they got good balance. No, these guys were, they were sold out for Jesus. Their life, their mission was all about the gospel, sharing the good news of who Jesus was and what he has done, that the great judge had come to be judged for others. They were sold out. There was no balance in their life. There, there was no middle ground. These guys adored and worshipped the king and their life reflected it this should be our response when we understand who he is the great judge and secondly that he was judged specifically for us that's our next point that we see okay he is the judge you can see it in his response there in daniel but we also want to understand that the great judge jesus came to be judged and, and it's an odd thing, it's a paradox to, to, to kind of look at, but there's a great reversal here. Now, ultimately, if he is the judge, the, the one and only, the final judge, looking at it, I hear, you know, ordinary men judging him. I mean, that, that's quite a reversal for the Son of God, the Son of Man. We know that he is the judge, but here he is, being judged. Uh, there's a story in Exodus chapter 17, I think probably the only time we see this uh, in the Old Testament, and Paul will reference this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, but in, in Exodus chapter 17, we get a picture of this. In Exodus chapter 17, uh, the nation of Israel has just been freed, right? They are free from the bondage of slavery in Egypt, they are wandering around, and they begin to start complaining. Oh man, why would God bring us out here? We got no food, we got no water, you know, we got nothing. What are we doing here? And they start blaming God for the position that they're in, right? They're blaming him. No water, no food, it's his fault. And so God tells Moses, all right, let's do this. Go over to the rock 
and let's bring all my people together, and I will stand on the rock. And it's the only time we see God standing before the people instead of the people standing before God. And I think it's a great picture because here he is standing, says, on this rock. And he tells Moses, all right, Moses, bring your rod with you. Now, if you know anything about the rod, go back to uh, Egypt and what all that took place in Egypt before their freedom. The rod was a symbol of justice, right? The rod was a symbol of God delivering his people, God delivering justice for them upon Egypt. So I'm sure Moses has in his mind, all right, yep, here we go. God's going to show these guys a lesson, right? God's going to teach them a lesson. I'm bringing the rod along. And these guys who've been grumbling and complaining and blaming God for their troubles, they're going to learn a lesson. And so all the people convene. Here is, uh, God says, I'll be upon the rock. And Moses is then told, he says, then do this, Moses. Strike the rock. Right? Well, I mean, these are the guys complaining against God. These are the guys blaming God for their current position that they are in. And yet, Moses isn't striking them with the rod. He's striking the rock, the place that God said he would be. And, and Moses probably doesn't fully understand what's going on. I think Paul gives us a picture in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, you know what? Christ was that rock. The one who deserved to be the judge was judged. What for? For us. For us. And now this great picture, just as in Exodus chapter 17, water, water that gives life flew out, came out of the rock, flowed out of the rock. Jesus is that for us. Living water, life-giving water. The judge came to be judged, to, to bear our sin to bear our wrongdoing, to bear, you know what, we, we have all, all fallen short, all made mistakes. We're probably not like O.J. Simpson, hopefully, right? But you know what Jesus said? If you've got hate in your heart, that's murder. If you've got lust in your heart, that's like committing adultery. We've all fallen short. We've all missed the mark. And the ultimate judge has come to be judged for us in our place. Oh, what a thing. The Son of God, the Son of Man, the great judge, judged for us. So now when, when God looks at me, because of the finished work on the cross and because I've, I've put my hope and my faith and trust in Jesus, although I deserve to be judged, Jesus has bore it for me. It is on him and the finished work of the cross. He has come and he has bore the judgment for our sins in our place. Here in Mark 14, we have the reality, as Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that rock, that symbol, the reality in Christ. The reality is I deserve to be judged I deserve to be put on trial, but Jesus did it for me. Jesus bore that judgment for me. The reality is the great judge has been judged for us. 
Now here's what, what this means for us. I think many things for us to apply to our lives. I think knowing that we deserve judgment, yet because of the grace of God he has shown us, it should cause us not to judge others, right? We, we are only in the position we are in. If we know Christ and we have a relationship with him, we are only in that position because of the grace of God. Only reason we're there. And we should love others that don't share that point of view. Because that's what Jesus did, right? I mean, he was beaten and mocked and spit on and ultimately crucified for those type of people. We should have that same response. If we understand that Jesus, the great judge, has been judged for us, it should come down to an individual basis. If someone has wronged me, I should be slow to judge slow to anger and forgive and that's tough to do isn't it i don't know if you're like me when somebody wrongs me my first response is i'm getting even right i'm taking this guy down whatever it takes but when we do these things you know what it leads to it leads to bitterness it leads to anger it ruins our lives to look like jesus he, he judged persecuted died for his enemies Romans tells us that when we were yet enemies of God Christ died for us his enemies I think the third thing would be to stop judging ourselves. it's easy I'm I'm one of the largest sins in my life is probably just the this performance-based mentality and you know what if things go at work oh man I'm good I'm in a good mood if George Niang doesn't throw the ball away with two seconds left, hey, man, I'm in a good mood. But if he does, it ruins my day. But we live so performance-based, right? When things go well, it's well. When things don't go well, it's not well. I love what, what, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4. He says, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. He said, I don't care what you think. And we like that, right? Yeah, I don't care what anybody thinks. But he takes it a step further. He says, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. He says, I don't care what you think, but I don't care what I think. Because none of that matters. You know what matters? How I live my life before him, the great judge. That is what matters. Forget how well my life is going or is not going what matters is how I live my life before him. But what a great thing he has done. Last portion, the last thing I think it means for us is that Jesus suffered for us. That, that's evident. We, we see here that he was on trial, he was beaten, he was, he was ultimately crucified, and, and it was for us. He suffered for us. But I think there's a great truth as well is in the fact that he also suffers with us. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? That he, he knows our trials. He knows our struggles. He has suffered with us. You, you look at his life. I mean, we, we talk about him being on trial. We talk about him. All his, his, his closest friends, when he probably would need him the most, turned his back on him. His closest friend was beheaded. He died. He's hated. He spit on. He's mocked. He, he was tempted, right, by the devil. He He knows. He knows our struggle. He knows how we suffer. He suffers with us. What, 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 
What an awesome thing that this great judge, this great son of man that we hear about in Daniel, we see in Jesus, sympathizes with us, knows our struggles, knows our sufferings, is with us in those. Isn't that an incredible thing? Uh What an amazing thing that he has suffered with us and he has also suffered for us. That's what the bread and the juice are about, that we remember him. We worship him because of this, because his body was broken and because his blood was shed for me. The great judge judged for you, for me. What a reason to worship. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for the life of Jesus. And what a privilege for us to to go through the book of Mark and see the life of Jesus Not only his life lived, but ultimately his suffering here, the trials he stood before the chief priests and the teachers. Get ultimately him going to the cross and suffering that that death, that ultimate death for us. But we thank you it didn't end there. We thank you that he has risen, that he has conquered death, he has conquered sin, he has conquered hell, and he's done it for us. We thank you for the great Son of God, Son of Man, the great judge who was judged for us. Uh, God, as we think and we dwell on him and we worship him this morning, this should be life-changing. The grace and mercy you've shown us, God, that should cause us to want to follow you, to tell others about you, serve you, to be be like those disciples. No, No balance, just craziness for you. God, we want more of that. And so, God, we just we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his life, his death, and the resurrection. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Father, just thank you so much for bringing us here this morning. And I pray that we can declare that you are our strong God throughout every day, throughout the week that we would live our lives that way. Jesus, thank you so much for salvation and loving us. In your name, amen.